Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Thank you, Ben. Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. It's good to have you guys here. It's nice to be here, a time where we get to celebrate uh, something very powerful in our faith. And so we want to make the most of this opportunity to allow the excitement of this resurrection story to excite our lives. And it is meant to quicken is a a word that is used in, in scripture. It is meant to quicken us, to bring us into this same life that rose Christ from the dead. And so let's pause and let's pray before we get started. God, you are at work and we are thankful for that work and you are alive. And saying that can become so common without it really being as powerful as it is and needs to be within us. And so our desire this morning is that your life would be evident in us. And Father, that this story of resurrection would be our story, that your life would be our life. And this time would change us because of your speaking to us. We invite that and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Rick. I always forget something. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about competition, driving to the hospital, Ikea furniture, and art galleries. You guys up for it? Okay, good. If you're not, I don't know what to tell you. That's what we're doing. You know, it's important for us to realize as we look at the New Testament and the disciples of Jesus to recognize their age. They were probably most of them under 20, except for Peter, who we know had a wife who was probably a little bit older. And the reason this is important is because we see a sense of competition throughout the New Testament and the Gospels. And I love the humanity of Scripture, how it really shows personality in these things where we're constantly seeing, you know, a couple of disciples who would send their mom to talk to Jesus, say, hey, let us sit on the right or the left of your, you know, kingdom. And Jesus is like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. That's not how it's going. And John in his gospel, 
doesn't mention himself. He mentions all the other disciples. There was Peter and there was Matthew and there was James, but he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I wonder if that irritated the other disciples when they read it. You know, it's like, he, what, he didn't love us all? And of course he did. But we do know from all the Gospels that Peter, James, and John were kind of at an inner circle. And so he definitely felt very close to Christ. And it shows up in the things that he writes and the things that he says. And as we move forward, it's important, again, that we have a foundation that we're building from. Because resurrection doesn't stand alone. It stands from a very big description, a very picturesque understanding of what God is doing. And if we don't start this conversation in the context that it is meant, we lose the power of it. And so in John 13, verse 1, John writes, It was now the day before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Again, that's a poetic way of saying he was going to be crucified. He had always loved those in the world who were his own, and he loved them to the very end. This is what we talked about Friday. This is the context of God's conversation and gospel, is that God loved us to the very end. What does that mean? It means he loved us with all that could be loved. It means he he loved us sacrificially. He loved us until there was nothing left of himself to give. And this is where we start. This is the context of where we are going here. And so now John writes further. After the Passover, after the crucifixion, in John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the entrance. She went running to Simon Peter and the other disciples whom Jesus loved, guess who, and told them, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now we have to stop here and notice that Mary's conversation didn't say, it's happened, he's alive. Her thought is someone took the body. It wasn't that, oh, yeah, remember all the things that he said? That wasn't the conversation. Her thought was, someone took the body. There's another gospel that says when Mary went there to the tomb, there was an angel, and the angel said to her, why do you seek the living among the dead? And the answer is, we're not. We're looking for the dead among the dead. Because that was their conversation. That's where they were. The people who were closest to Jesus at this time did not understand because it was too much for them to grasp. It would be too much for us to grasp. And instead of believing or remembering what he said, she believed someone took the body. What else could it be? It goes on. Then Peter and the other disciple went to the tomb. The other disciple is, of course, the one Jesus loved, right? The two of them were running, 
But the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, why is that there? Why would he put that? It's just a little note. Now, remember, this is probably like a 19-year-old young man running against this older guy who probably dominated a lot of the conversation because he was older. Who knows why? But John feels the need to let us know that they both ran to the tomb and he got there first. Again, I love this, right? I, I just wonder all that's going into these things. But notice this. Verse 5, it says, He bent over and saw the linen clothes, but did not go in. Behind him came Simon Peter, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. And the cloth which had been round Jesus' head, it was not lying with the linen clothes, but it was rolled up by itself or folded. Then the other disciple who had reached the term tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture, which said that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back home. Here we have some really unique things taking place. We, we see this race to the tomb. We see this race to try and get to see what Mary is talking about. And John is faster. He lets us know that. But he stops at the tomb and doesn't go in. He stops and he looks inside. Now, why wouldn't he just run in to see what was going on? Peter did. But why would John stop? You see, John being a good Jewish young man would not go into a tomb where there was supposedly a dead body because he did not want to defile himself. And so his belief and tradition held him outside of the tomb, would not let him go in because he did not want to defile himself, even though something amazing may have just had happened. Now, I, I think that this is something very important for us to understand. How many times does our tradition, does our belief system keep us from maybe moving further into a faith than we would normally go? Now, Peter, we got to love Peter. He's impetuous. He just runs right in, which is, again, his personality, right? Peter is always doing those kinds of things. Lord, it's good that we're here on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's build an altar to you. If it's really you, Jesus, call me and I'll go walk on the water too, right? No one else said that. Peter said that. Everyone else is probably going, Peter, shut up. Don't say that, right? And then he says it, and then he does it, and they're all, I was going to say that, right? I mean, who knows what was going on? It's like that joke, how many guitar players does it take to screw in a light bulb? Ten. One to do it, nine to say, I could do that, all right? There's this competition that is going, but Peter is always the one kind of stepping in, but it isn't always good, right? He tells Jesus, you'll never go to the cross I'll die for you. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. Or when the soldiers are coming, Peter, the fisherman, draws a sword and cuts off the guy's ear. He's probably aiming for the head, but that's all he could do because he's a fisherman with a sword. And Jesus has to heal the guy and say, 
stop it. But this drive of Peter takes him in, and after he goes, then John also goes in. You see, his boldness to step further actually was a magnet for John to go in and follow him. And I wonder how many times we are hesitant to go as far as God is calling us to go because we're afraid of implications. What will people think if I act this way? What, what will happen if I do this? Is this, and instead of, does God really want me to go and do this? We're worried about what people think. We're worried about so many other things and we're not listening to the voice that is pulling in us into more. When my nephew was born, he weighed two pounds, two ounces. He was premature. And when he was born, my brother and I were working in the San Fernando Valley. We were painting a building complex. And we got a, a phone call, and it wasn't cell, there weren't cell phones there, where they had to call the construction office, and then they came out and they got us. And they say, you need to get to the hospital right away because your wife is in labor and things are serious. It, it's very, uh, she's lost a lot of blood, she's not doing well, so you need to get to the hospital. So from San Fernando Valley, we're driving to, I think it was Arcadia. And my brother is driving 55 miles an hour. And I'm saying, what are you doing? Step on it. And he was steadfast. He was not going to go more than 55 miles an hour. And I knew the reason. Because he thought that if God would be pleased with me driving the speed limit, that maybe God will show mercy on my wife and my baby. As if this is what God is looking for and what I need to do so that he will answer this prayer. And although I admire his dedication, his view of God is something that makes me sad. It hurts. As if God cares more about how fast you drive than whether your wife is dying and your baby might die. You better drive the speed limit or else. I talked to a person Saturday and they were talking to me about moving and they have the opportunity to start a new career and moved out of, you know, pretty far away. And there, you know, a lot of things that happen with the family having to move. And they were asking me, well, you know, we're just hoping that God wants us to go because, you know, if God doesn't want to go and we go, what's going to happen? You know, I'm worried about what will happen to our kids if we're in the wrong place at the wrong time, as if the will of God is a hammer just waiting to fall. And I tried to share with them, you know, what if God doesn't care about the job you get? What if God cares more about the life you bring to whatever job you're at? What if God can be here in Upland and also 
in Colorado? What if God can work in your life and in your marriage and in your kid's life wherever you're at? And instead of God's will being a hammer ready to fall, what if God's will is a door ready to swing open and all you have to do is run in it? You know, we are afraid to ask for bread because we fear he's going to give us a stone because we think that's all we deserve and our tradition will keep us outside of the tomb instead of going in and seeing that he's not there. All that's there are the grave clothes and they're rolled up and they're folded up. Who did that anyway, right? Did Jesus do it? Is this like some Marie Kondo gonna spark some joy here, man? Gonna set this thing on fire. You never go in, you don't see. You don't get to experience. And it's interesting because it says that he saw and believed, but still did not understand. And I got to tell you, I love this. I love the idea that you can believe but not understand because that's my life, right? I believe, but I don't understand a whole lot. It keeps changing. I don't know about you guys, but I used to think I understood a lot, and I found out I didn't really believe a lot. But now that I believe, I don't understand. It's kind of a weird thing. I'm probably confusing you, and everyone's going, yeah, we got to find another church. Um, But it's something that I marvel at. You know, how many of us don't step in and allow faith to change and transform us? The thing is, you don't have to understand it to step into it. There's another passage in Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is after the resurrection. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Can you worship him and doubt? Apparently. And there's no other commentary, right? It doesn't go on and it say, but later on, it just later on says Jesus went and sent them. You mean he sent them even with their doubts? Apparently. You see, I had this understanding that I have to get past my doubts before I get sent. Uh, This understanding that I have to have it all figured out to truly follow. I have to have everything nice and clear and clean, but sometimes I don't. Sometimes I doubt. Sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I go to some dark places. And I have found that the times that my faith has been what I would consider at its lowest, when I look back, that is when my faith has grown the most. I didn't see it at the time. I couldn't at the time. I was too blinded by the circumstances and my ability to not understand them. But looking back, I see God surrounding me. I see God resurrecting me. I see God doing something in my life that I could not have done myself. And that place was where his work took place in my life. So if you're saying, I don't get this, Hey, you could be a disciple. I doubt it. Hey, you fit right in. 
And that's why we say you don't have to believe to belong. You see, I think our soul knows things way before our mind does. Our, I, our soul is crying out to God in ways that we don't even understand. And then eventually we come alongside and find out these things. And no matter what you've heard about God, you don't understand, if you don't understand that the single motivating factor is that he loved you to the end, then we can't pick this story up here because that's where the story starts. He loved you to the end and then comes life. We think that bad things happen because God is punishing us. But that's not a reflection of God. That's a reflection of us. When we are thinking that way, we are thinking, if I ask for bread, he'll give me a stone. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. And so many times when people are asking me, well, do you think God is punishing? Would you do that to your kids? Just to teach him a lesson, would you punish them in that way? Just to show them? God is for you, not against you. But sometimes communication is difficult. How do we communicate with God? How, how do we understand what God's will is? You know, when you're dealing with couples, communication is usually the number one thing that they struggle with. I, I don't know where I heard it from, but we decided that if we ever do a, a couple's class, what we're going to do is get some Ikea furniture, some of the most difficult furniture, and tell a couple, put it together. <laughs> right? That'll teach you something. <laughs> Give me that thingy. What thingy? The one you insert into here. Well, which one is it? Is it the wood one or is it the spiral metal one? I don't know. It's the one that's shaped like a little wheel thing that goes in there. Is it for the R1 or is it for the L1? I don't know. What does the R1 look like? That's not the R1. That's the L1. I tell you, if you ever want to see a marriage grow, do a room addition. <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. Figuring out what color paint, what kind of tile. Uh, is it too soon? <laughs> it's been 14 years. Is it too soon? <laughs> it, it, it's one of these things that tests you because you're having to communicate. Well, no, I, I meant the one that looked like this. I thought it meant like this. How do we understand God's communication? What, what is the means that God is going to communicate himself to us clearly? And because God wants us to understand his intention and determination that his desire for us is love, God has communicated to us through Christ. He, he has given us an illustration. Are any of you visual learners? Right? You put a book in front of me and I just glaze over. It's like these words turn into German you know, it's like, what am I reading here? But you give me a YouTube video and I can put the car engine back together, right? It's like, okay, all right, I'm with you. I can rewind and I can go back. Okay, I know what to do now. 
Jesus is the visual illustration so that we can see clearly, so that we can hear clearly what God is saying and what he wants to communicate to us. John would later write in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, and God showed us his love for us. He showed us by sending his son, only son into the world so that we might have life through him. Now, it's interesting because you will find this idea of love and life intertwined, especially through John's writings, because they are so connected. You know, we try to find fulfillment in life and we try to find it in so many things. We want to find it in success. We want to find it in pleasure. We want to find it in status. But really what we're trying to find is love. We're trying to find someone who will love us as we are, who we are, and also someone that we can love. It really is all just a pursuit of love. John earlier said, we know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Now, this is interesting because he doesn't say you're going to die, but he says remains in death, which is haunting. That it is possible to be alive but not living, to be breathing, but to remain in what John writes, death. You know, I'm not a real artistic person when it comes to like painting and those kinds of things. Bless you. And if you ever go to a museum or art gallery, and you go with one of your friends who's really artistic, they will look at a painting and they'll start telling you, oh, look at the brush strokes. Oh, look at the oils that they use and look at the color palette that they're using and that's great. And you look at it and you're thinking, I could have done that in the fifth grade, right? You're, you're thinking, that's not a whole lot. But if you were to take your fifth grade piece of art and put it against this, someone who had the eye would look at it and say, no, no, this is fifth grade junk. And this is art because they have a palette. They're able to see things that you can't see or understand. Same thing's true in music, right? You hear someone and someone might be hearing something and they're just cued in on it, and they're saying, do you see what that guy's doing on the guitar? And he's playing. Oh, no. I play. That's different, right? That is something more than. But unless you appreciate it, you don't understand the depths to that. I wonder if God looks at our lives and sees what they could be and sees what they are and says, you're, you're not really alive. You're remaining in death. There is so much more for you, but you're, you're settling for so much less. But our eyes and our palate are just not able to see it. And the only thing that moves us from death to life is love. When you recognize that you are fully known, 
that you are fully loved, it does something to you. When I found out that Kareen liked me, I was pretty happy. I, I, I was smiling on the inside. I felt like I'd lost 30 pounds. I felt like I just, anyway, I was really happy. I could tell you the moment, but I'm not. But she didn't even know me. I had to hide that from her so that she'd like me, right? She didn't get to know me until later on. And then she found out and said, you deceived me. (laughs) But the whole desire of our heart is to be fully known and fully loved. There's only one who fully knows you. And that is the one who fully loves you. It's an amazing thing that the one who knows me completely loves me the most. And that changes you. It it builds a bridge. That love builds a bridge from death to life. But you see, love is something that can be given but has to voluntarily be given back. I knew how I felt about Kareem, but I couldn't make her feel the same way about me. I had to try and romance her. I had to try and make her think that I was a catch. So I played guitar because your attraction goes up 25% when you play guitar. It was all an effort so that she hopefully would like me back. See, God can love you so completely, but love isn't fulfilled until it's reciprocated. Love doesn't get to show its true color until it's a response. Then something special happens. This morning, our daughter came into our house at 7.30 because that's what time she gets off work. And so I fortunately was awake, but she came in and she said, hi, and we said, hi. And then she hugged us and she started crying. And she works at the hospital. She works in the ER. We're like, what's wrong? Did you have a rough day? And she said, yeah. One of the people she knows at work, their mom died in the hospital. And the person came in, and they were just in their clothes, and they're like, what are you doing here? And then they realized that this was their mom, and it passed away. And so she just wanted to come and make sure we were alive and to hug us. Now, as tragic as this story is, what it's doing is showing what love does is it moves you where she had to come and see us and hug us because she loved us. I I couldn't make that happen. I couldn't tell you how important that is. I, I couldn't let, I can't tell you how it makes me feel to know my daughter wants to be there and make sure we're okay. 
there's no lesson that we taught her. By the way, when you get to be this age, you need to come back and check on us to make sure we're alive, right? There, there is no lesson we can do to make this happen. It's something that happened because we love her and she loves us. And it's beautiful, but that's when you see the beauty is when it's reciprocated. That's when it really shines. That's when the colors are in full bloom. That's when the majesty of what it is takes place. It's only realized when it's returned. That's why he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. That's how you know, because we love, we respond. Respond to what? Respond to the love that has been given to us and overflows us. And pretty soon we are going and checking in and saying, how are you? Are you hurting? I hurt too. Because that's what love does. And when he says anyone who does not love remains in death, he's not passing judgment. It's not there to condemn us. It's there to awaken us. It's there to help us see. You see, the world slept while Jesus arose. Death feels like despair. It feels like loneliness. It's an absence of this love that God has for us. And some of us are like John. We ran up, but we didn't go in. We, we, we've gone to church, but we really didn't open our hearts or reciprocate the love that God was giving to. Oh, yeah, God loves me. God loves me. I hear it. I hear it. I hear it. But until there's a response, that life doesn't show up. Until there's a response to the love, then the life is dormant. It's the seed buried that does not yet grow. We heard the words, know the stories, but never lived a life connected to God's love. So John would write in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. So then love has not, made, has not been made perfect in anyone who is afraid because fear has to do with punishment. What is amazing about this is that this scripture after the crucifixion and resurrection is how John wants us to understand God and his love for us. Now, you have to try and wrestle with this. You see, if I were in the place of Jesus and I loved you to the end, I spent time with you. I poured my heart, my soul out to you. And in turn, you betrayed me. You denied me. You handed me over to people to be beaten, to be shredded, to have to carry my instrument of death up to a hill where then you crucified me and mocked me and buried me. If I came back, I don't know what I would want to do with you. Okay, just saying. I'm not so sure I'd be like, yes, it's me, right? But here, 
John is saying perfect love drives out fear. He didn't come to bring condemnation to you. He didn't come except with forgiveness. You see, the story takes this turn where God says, you do your worst and I will show you my best. You put me in the grave and I will bring life to you. Wherever you're at and whatever place you're at, I have life that can meet you in the place where you are dead. Where you are broken, where you are hostile, where you are violent, I will bring love and you don't have to be afraid of it. This is what I offer you. Happy Easter. This is ours given to us by Jesus because the context of resurrection is that God loved you to the very end. And when it came to the end of his life, it was the beginning of our life with him. And so this is the invitation. History would mark these early followers because they would not deny this story that Jesus is Alive, They would be martyred, put to death because the truth of resurrection made them alive. And it is what God is wanting to do in our hearts this morning is bring his life. And what we have to do, it's very difficult. There's 20 steps There's a list of regulations and rules. Now, that's stopping and not going in the tomb. What we have to do is respond. What we have to do is love back. Jesus said, on this rests all the law and the prophets. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll show you what love looks like. Looks like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, without seeming too simplistic, there is such depth in the simplicity of these words that there is life to be had in response to the love that is given. And so, Lord, my prayer here this morning is that all of us would care more and in that response, may they find life so that we don't remain in death. We thank you for this good news. We thank you for what resurrection means. That it is life connected to the love of God. We love you and thank you, Lord. Let's stand together. May you run with all your doubts into the tomb, the empty tomb. 
And may your heart respond to the love of God before your mind even fully understands the depths, the riches of his love for you. And may the life of Christ be yours. God bless you guys. Happy Easter. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.